Welcome to Alternative Christian Voices. We have real conversations with real people. As you know, the world has ended. So I'm changing the schedule a little bit. And there are two main reasons for that. The first one is that uh, my church and all other churches have had to cancel small groups and Bible studies for a little while. Groups, uh, groups like that have always been really important to me. And I know that uh, that input, that opportunity to think, to question, to go deeper is really important to a lot of people. So I'm sort of semi-repurposing uh, this podcast to fill that hole. And the second reason is that I have nothing else to do because I'm not allowed to do most of my work. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and get a conversation out weekly. I'm going to change the release day back to Tuesday so I don't have to compete with masses of grainy live streams uh, of church services on Sunday. And since I'm trying to appeal to a less niche audience uh, than usual, I will try not to swear or at least... I'll bleep it out or, or whatever, you know, when I do swear. So my guest today is a uh, recovered, recovering, what's the right term? Recovering. Recovering alcoholic uh, and is also an ordained priest in the Church of England. Now, it's a, a good friend of mine, but I'm not allowed to use his name um, for fairly obvious reasons. It's kind of in the name. So what um, what should we call you? Call me Dave or David. Dave. That was disappointing. I was hoping like Clint Hardbody or Penelope Goodhead. That's a James Bond one, isn't it? I admit that. Do you know when you steal something, but you're not totally sure where you've stolen it from? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> so, all right, Dave, boring, be like that. Why don't you tell us uh, a little bit of your story, or tell us who you are? He's given me a funny look already. We've only just started. <laughs> so, um, as Sam said, I've been ordained priest in the Church of England for over 20 years. I've been a recovering alcoholic for 34 years. Um, came to, into AA in February 1986 and by the grace of God and one day at a time haven't had a drink since so so, I, mean, I, I stumbled over it because I didn't know what the right term is but, but you do say recovering but 86 so that's uh, 34, years. 34 years and you still say recovering it's, I think there's a slight difference between being cured and being healed so I, I, would, I would happily accept that I am healed but I will never be cured. Why? Um, because all the research and all my experience of thousands of AA meetings, seeing people relapse and come back in, is that nobody has ever come to AA and then gone back out and moderated or enjoyed their drinking. So I will never be able to drink safely or sensibly because I never did. And, and so I cannot ever describe myself as recovered. Okay, so um, I'm going to edit that silence out. Oh, I might not. I might just leave it. It's funnier if I leave it. <laughs> I've already gone off my plan. So, um, so uh, yeah, I guess we want to talk about 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 AA and about addiction, but more specifically, I guess I want to know about I want to know about how the church can deal better. Most of our uh, listeners are. Um, well, not most of. We actually got a very broad listenership. Um, um, we've got a lot of church leaders that listen, a lot of like, regular Christians, um, and a lot of just non-Christians. I'm not totally sure how I picked them up, but whatever. Um, so I guess I want to know about church. And I was thinking, I was reading the other day um, uh, Philip Yancey's "What's So Amazing About Grace." You ever read that? Yeah, a long time ago. Awesome book. Yeah. Um, I'm a fan of his. I steal a lot of his stuff. And in the last chapter. Um, he talks about attending an AA meeting this in the basement of his church and being surprised at how much it resembled 
uh, what he thought of us or how he understood the New Testament church. Um, he says a well-known TV personality and a millionaire mixed freely with unemployed dropouts and street kids. He said that sharing the sharing time was like a textbook small group marked by compassionate listening. He even describes, now he doesn't call it this, but he describes something that I would call liturgy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He says, one person says, hi, my name is Tom, I'm an alcoholic, and everybody else in the room replies, hi, Tom. Yep. Well, that sounds like liturgy to me. I know I'm Anglo-Catholic, I can't help it. Um, and he actually said that um, if only the church could realize that in many ways this basement group were their spiritual betters. Do you think that, uh, to, to angle towards my actual question, do you think that church can learn anything from AA? Yes, I do. And, and, but then I have to hold up myself to a standard which I don't apply myself to. So but to be more simple about your question, I think that the joy of Alcoholics Anonymous is it has a primary purpose. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. But if I was to say that to uh, a bishop, a priest, a congregation, what's your primary purpose? I would get as many different answers as people I asked. So we don't, as a church, have a primary purpose. Do you, do you think that's because we can't have one or because we don't? Why not? I think, um, I think Alcoholics Anonymous is the most dangerous and expensive club to join in the world. <laughs> well, because well, it's all free, right? Well, but the cost of entry is enormous. Tell me about it. The, 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 you know, the immense financial cost uh, annually I couldn't even begin to tell you how much I spent on drinking annually but it was everything I had apart from the odd pair of shoes you know my brother gave me 20 and this is a long time ago gave me 20 quid to buy a pair of shoes and I bought a pair of Dunlop Green Flash for 6 quid and 2 bottles of vodka you know um, because vodka used to be a lot cheaper yes it was <laughs> <laughs> everything was a lot cheaper I can remember when the pubs closed that's uh, and um Close now. This must feel very familiar. <laughs> yeah. Now I forgot what we were talking about. So yeah, cost, I have the, that cost of, the cost of entry. So, and, and not just the financial cost, but the emotional, spiritual cost, and the cost in, in others, friends, and family, loved ones. That w- the pain and suffering that we put through. Everybody listening to this will will know somebody who drinks too much, and most will know somebody who's actually struggling and is causing them and the people around them suffering, and even immense suffering. And that's the cost of joining. And so it makes our focus very clear. You know, we know why we're there. I I think church has become... I love the church. I love my church. I love your church. I love the church. But we have replaced God with good. We have replaced grace, as you touched on with the Philip Yancey book, a great book, with um, works. We, the temptation, you know, everybody in that meeting that Tom Clancy went to, everybody in the meetings that I go to, suffers temptation to, to slip and to slide, to go back into old habits and, and old ways of thinking that would lead to drinking. And the church is, is always tempted. It, and it's sometimes easier to turn away from the light, the truth, and to do something almost as good. It's one of my favourite sort of, sort of um, jokes. Uh, you know, how do you 
stop Wayne Rooney scoring a goal? And, and, you, and the answer is, you know, just as he's about to shoot, you, hold, you know, stand by the side of the net and, and, and shake a, a, some keys at him and say, hey, Wayne, look at the shiny, shiny. You know, and, um, <laughs> and, the, and the church does that all the time. We take our eyes off Jesus. We take our eyes off the Holy Spirit. We take our eyes off grace. And we, you know, we focus on other things. And, and, and everybody will focus on something different. And so we become a diverse and diffuse group rather than a focus group you know seek ye first the kingdom of god is, is a key passage for me and, and that's very clear seek ye first the kingdom of god and you shall love the lord your god you know with all your heart these are core passages and, and we we end up saying yeah i'll get to that in a minute but let me do all this stuff first so you you think that the um the big thing that that, that we can learn from aa is is to have one singular focus well, what do you think that could could be? How do you how? Well, no, you've already said that, but I mean, how do you condense all of these things? And I've heard you say that lots of times. Um, um, we, we've swapped doing God for doing good, and um, I agree with you. But I think that a lot of people, a lot of people, think of the church. Okay, so this coronavirus thing is, is, has has um, we went into proper lockdown on uh, Tuesday, was it? We're recording on. Um, Monday the 23rd so I ended the proper lockdown about a week ago now and since then several of my neighbours who, who don't really know me, who only know me in the context of I've gone by their houses in a collar and said hello um, have have called me or knocked on my door and, and asked if they can do anything down the church to help with the coronavirus thing um, which puts two things from my mind really, firstly what exactly do you think that I do for a living um do you, do you imagine I'm coordinating some sort of? Do you imagine that, like, when you know, when when um when this kicked off, the mayor immediately thought I'd better ring the vicar, um, but also I think this idea that doing good things, that that um doing good stuff, is attached in in the whole country, including individual Christian psyches, to the church. Um, I think most people would find it very hard to separate our behavior from our or the things we do from what we are am i making any sense i'm never sure yeah so you forgive me and we're just having a conversation oh i was waiting for him <laughs> to say that that's his favorite that's david i nearly said his name that's david's favorite line you're falling into the classic trap we all do which is that all grace is a gift clancy is very clear about that grace is a gift uh, and and the, the, the primary purpose of the church, as Spurgeon puts it, prayer and praise are the oars by which we row our boat into the deep love of Jesus Christ. Our job is to pray and to worship, to praise God. Full stop. Now, what tends to happen is a Pelagianistic approach, uh, justification by works, which kind of goes, I don't want to pray and pray. Well, I do, but I don't want it to change or affect me. It's much easier to ask the vicar, can I help, than it is to sit at home and pray and ask God what he wants me to do. And for church communities and for church leaders, we are obsessed with showing off how busy we are in front of each other to make each other feel bad. And nobody is sitting down and praying, God, what do you want me to do in this season of my life? 
and churches aren't sitting collectively and worshipping, receiving the Eucharist and hearing that word from God because God can do more in five seconds than I can do in the whole of my life. So there is this slight temptation, it's more than slight, amongst Christians to look busy and some of that is a genuine desire to be and do good and, and you can't fault that but some of that is also a genuine truth that they would that ego is not defeated that self still reigns and what they're doing is their idea rather than what god is calling them or wanting them to do in any given situation so the issue isn't is never you know i'm not going to ever suggest we should stop doing good what well, that's not what i'm saying but I, I think it's important for people to come to terms with the idea that god's plan is better than my plan uh, you know and that's a truth of alcoholics anonymous i can't he can why don't i let him have a go you know, we never spend enough time, and this is, you know, part of the uh, season of gratitude that we can enter into into this time of self-isolation. God is actually seems to be saying to us, "Okay, you haven't been praying, you haven't been talking to me. You know, yeah, you can do all your Facebook stuff, and yeah, but in the end, this is a great opportunity to pray." And the truth of the, the, the of the church also is, we're not here primarily. Our primary purpose is not to do good. Our primary purpose is to, to be with God in his work of saving souls. So that is a spiritual thing, not a worldly thing. So our primary purpose is in the realm of the spiritual. And there are lots of lonely and frightened people now. I get that. And we could and should do everything we can. But primarily, who is going to support their souls in this time? You know, the, the government is spending you know, huge resources, God bless them, on trying to reach out and sustain society. But nobody's talking, they're talking about emotional well-being, mental well-being, physical well-being. Nobody's talking about spiritual well-being. And I'm slightly concerned because the, the church isn't talking about spiritual well-being as well. We, we're perfectly capable of being you know, furnaces of prayer in this time. But it, it's, it's one of the things that... Um you are you're right. I I I didn't fall into a trap. I baited you into one. <laughs> um, so the, the thing I've been finding most difficult. We've been locked down for a week now. Been about it's been about a week since I've been allowed to do the vast majority of, of what what I would think of as my vocation. Um, vocation, yeah. So so most of my the things I usually spend my time on I cannot do for the most part, and the biggest problem I've had with that is I am mind-numbingly bored because I'm used to working and I'm not saying this to brag I'm, I'm trying to emphasize your point that this is wrong um, I'm used to working six days a week 10 to 12 hour days um, and without that I'm really bored and we all got a letter from from our bishop um, telling us to use this time to to rest and to pray and I and, and rather than rest and pray I just sat there feeling oh I'm so bored I'm so bored it took me. It took me at least two days to realize that I could spend this time praying, um, and I think of um, a conversation we had once. Um, we were talking once about the uh, uh, about the. Oh, I can't remember. It's a, a, a disabled person comes up to Jesus, and there's loads of Pharisees there. Um, I think it's the pool. The one who's going to a pool comes up to Jesus, and and um, same person comes to Jesus we're quite far in at this stage in the gospel we're quite far into the story lots of healings everybody knows why he's there it's obvious to say a person coming to Jesus because he's the healer he's known as the healer um, and Jesus says to him what do you want yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, um, absolutely because Jesus seems to distinguish between healing 
and curing. Um, um, the same thing happens with uh, the man who's lowered through the roof. The Pharisees, the Pharisees are really cross about that. They say, they say how do you heal a man on the Sabbath? He says, well, what's easier? Um, forgiving a man his sin, sins or telling him to walk. The first thing Jesus does, he says, and the man comes and asks for healing, and he says, your sins are forgiven. He only, gives him, he only lets them walk to make a point. Um, <laughs> uh, what am I trying to say? I've gone off track. But, but you know, I, I'm finding this difficult. I'm, I'm finding not doing anything, anything of note difficult because I'm insecure and because um, a lot of my sense of self-worth is built on what I do and how I do it um, and I know intellectually that's wrong I, you know, I know that that I know that and I've preached it a hundred times you know they say that if you want to know um, if you want to know what a preacher struggles with most listen to his sermon um, one of the things I've preached on a, a hundred times is um your yourself your value is in is in God, not not what you do. Amen. But I have trouble taking that on board. You know, I have trouble doing that. We preach best what most we need to learn. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I yeah, you're right. Um But how to get that idea into people's heads. I don't know, any ideas? Try you know, get it into mine. What would you say if, ignore the microphones? So part of the truth of, of John particularly is that this idea of I, that I may diminish, that he may increase, and and um, also a further sort of almost extrapolation of that is, you know, that great saying I can't remember who said it, uh, where I end, Jesus begins, and and people, uh, and it's a direct AA teaching, you know, the the biggest issue with most, if not all, recovering alcoholics is self-will, pride, ego, uh, as against God's will. So this is inherent in my upbringing as a recovering alcoholic and why I found coming to the gospel relatively straightforward is because it's the underlying message of the gospel as well. He who would follow me must forget self. And, and we are unprepared. And we, we will, you know, how many words have been preached in the Diocese of Bristol in the last month by, you know, in churches, Hun hundreds of hours but we dance and skirt around the great truth that he's in charge. We say he's in charge and we sing he's in charge, and, 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 but actually when it comes to the way we live our lives, we're in charge. And you know, the, the, the beggar on the street, the person we know we should talk to but don't because they smell a bit or we don't like them, or you know, that thought that we might forego a Chinese takeaway this Saturday and you know help somebody with it through a charity or stuff like that crosses our mind and then we think well yeah but I like my my Chinese and whenever I talk to that person they just annoy me and but who's gonna love the loveless if we don't and, and um, who's gonna pray for the, the people of our parishes and the, and the diocese if we don't because if you want to join a play football you join a football club you, you want to play darts join the dark club if you want to people come to church I'm assuming it's because they are spiritual people who recognize the spiritual battle we live in and I think we live in that time now as much as any and it is odd and ironic that we fail to claim that ground which is only ours um, I, I've, I, you know, I'm not here to persuade you Sam I, you know I can't everybody must in the end come to the end of themselves and part of it's ironic that this 
coronavirus season that we're living in forces us into one of the great truths which of the Christian tradition which has produced more saints than any other which is that self-isolation and dedicated times of prayer brings us closer to God and makes us a holy people and and what a I don't want to call what's going on a gift because many people are really struggling, really suffering, and some are dying. It, it, you know, but that's the world. We as Christians are being given a great opportunity, a great opportunity. And in the end, we must forget self. Not that that self dies, but the real self that God created in us before we were born, our unique souls, uh, comes to the fore. So this is a period of isolation, is, is an opportunity to pray and to return to what we should be doing anyway. Amen. Because <laughs> what we were doing before wasn't working. Everybody's worried, you know, us church leaders as much as anybody, about what whatever success means, about how the church could be perceived as struggling, although I see a huge increase in, in faith and love in the recent seasons of our lives. But actually churches are tremendously busy because our and priests are you know as you said working six hours a day 10 12 hours six hours a week six days a week 10 or 12 hours a day edit that bit for me i'm and not uh, gonna I'm gonna, leave it. <laughs> I'm gonna edit all of my mistakes I'm not gonna edit any of yours i've noticed that <laughs> you come across in these things as really fluent and wonderful yeah, um, yeah i do don't i yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 god is sitting in a corner weeping in loneliness and uh, that, that can't be right. So to um, move on, uh, so I don't run out of time, and to borrow from Philip Yancey again, um, so he was talking about this This group was meeting in the basement, he, he met lots of them, uh, and um, he noticed a pattern. He noticed that they were happy to meet in church in the week. They they talked about God. It was, a, it was quite a Christian-orientated group, and they were totally comfortable in the church space, but very few, if any, came back on a Sunday he said when he asked them uh, why that was when he asked them why you know why do you feel happy here on a Wednesday but not on a Sunday the majority of them said they didn't feel comfortable coming to church on a Sunday so what do you think it is what do you think it is that makes that makes well yes alcoholics but actually um, I meet loads of people throughout the week and, and a lot of people that come into our church for for different things throughout the week who have some degree of faith, who have a desire for God, but don't feel comfortable coming on a Sunday. But, you know, specifically, I guess, alcoholics um, or addicts. What, what do you think it is about church that makes people feel uncomfortable coming on a Sunday? When you're, well, it doesn't have to be Sunday, but when the rest of us are here, I think that's the key thing there. That question was very rambling, wasn't it? No, no, it? no. So, so the basis, Alcoholics Anonymous, in its inception, was a Christian organization run by... Uh, Dr. Bob, or set up by Dr. Bob and Bill W., who were both Christians, and and a, a direct result of the Oxford movement, and for the first few years of its life was Christian, and still, if you go to AA meetings in America, the Our Father is said instead of the Serenity Prayer at the end of the meeting. What, what they found was that Jews, Muslims, uh, people of other faiths were dying of alcoholism because they couldn't. Uh, take on board the, the Christian ethos of it wasn't even Alcoholics Anonymous then of what of what this early movement was about and, and in a huge 
act of grace that has saved millions of people's lives, they de-Christianized it. They, they, uh, so there is, I mean, if you're a Christian and read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, you'll come across Christian lines and Christian concepts all over the place. But if you weren't a Christian, you wouldn't recognize it. And so what they did is, is they made it clear that you can have the God of your understanding as long as it's a, a, higher, a power greater than yourself. As long as you can accept that there is a spiritual power out there that is greater than yourself and you're prepared to turn to it, give your life to it, turn to it, and let it uh, be in your life and inspire you, you can get the AA 12 Steps and AA program. And so that freedom within AA, where God, to a certain degree, is held at arm's length, as God as we understand him, and, and, and um, 12 step meetings are about the program of recovery, they're not necessarily, well, there is some prayer in it, but they're mostly not prayer or worship. So people struggle to get from AA to church because they are inherently two different things, but also church is inherently specific about the Christian God, and that freaks some of them out. Not all. I came to church through uh, coming to AA, seeking a, a, a broader, a deeper spiritual path. People do, but a lot of alcoholics anonymous would never have anything to do with organized religion. A lot of them have been deeply hurt by organized religion in their childhoods and before they were alcoholics and during the time they were alcoholics and find the uh, non-prescriptive God of, of AA deeply releasing. Uh, the other, so, and yeah, and the second answer to your question is somewhat, uh, I've said already, which is around, the two things are completely different. Uh, church is about prayer, praise and worship whereas AA is deemed to be or felt to be more about discussing the program of recovery. They're two separate things. So AA is a small group, as, to use your terms, whereas church is something different. So most alcoholics feel, uh, recovering alcoholics in AA, feel uncomfortable with church because it's not what they're used to. And it may be a little bit more of, of an ask than they can go to at the moment. And the, the, the astonishing joy and beauty of God is that he doesn't seem to care. He doesn't turn off his grace and love because they don't come to church. Um, he, he, as long as most recovering Alcoholics Anonymous who've worked the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous pray nightly. They take a personal inventory, at least usually daily, and to see where they have hurt somebody and they try and make amends for it. They uh, meditate as much as they are able. They turn their will and their lives over to the care of God as they understand him uh, on a regular basis. Um, you know, the truth of the matter is most priests who I've brought to AA meetings have said something to me along the lines of what Tom Clancy said, which is if I could get this feeling in my church, I would have considered it a success. And, and church can feel uh, more sterile, more ritualistic, more you know, and, and less godly than some AA meetings I've been to. Although not all, it's not a fountain of grace and spirituality. They can no, be, of course some, not. You know, but um, generally, the, the the things that he touched on in his book, the honesty, the, the care, the attentiveness, you know, is is all there. And in and you know, who am I to say what a good or bad church is or isn't? But in a good church, all those things are there also, but in a slightly different way. Uh, it's a tricky one. But, and, because, and the bottom line is most people, including people in Alcoholics Anonymous and people who go to church, don't consider themselves primarily spiritual beings. But, you know, that's the last bit, not the first bit.
which is again, you know, but the bottom line in alcoholics Anonymous, and it's made really clear to everybody is, uh, you can't do this without God, and we don't have that. You know, I, I love, as I said, I love church. It's been a blessing and such a gift to me with all its struggles through all my life. But if I stopped going to church, I think I'd be okay. If I stopped going to AA, I'd drink and die. You know, and, and people don't haven't entered into the the kingdom enough to recognise in a Christian context that we're about eternal souls here. So we may not in church die because we don't go to church, but spiritually we do. And we look about you know this virus or any other thing that's going on in in, in people's lives. It is people are crushed because their soul is lost. You and I have taken lots of funerals. We've, you know, we say these stuff, this stuff about people, and but I know some of the funerals, their lives, since the highlight of maybe when they got married and and found a new love, have just been in a slow spiral downwards where everything has been stripped from them, and they've, some of them have become quite bitter and lost and so the gift of life that God gave them is, is sucked out of them by this world to the point where they're almost glad to die whereas most Christians I know who set themselves on a, on a, a holy path take every day as a gift even in this current season of the virus and, and isolation every day is a gift every day is an opportunity for, for God to breathe something into our lives you know yeah it's an interesting there's a um a, a, a common joke among clergy that um, if 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 too many priests stay in a place for too long, they start talking about funerals. <laughs> but but you, there there is a difference, uh, and I've noticed it. And you've done you've been around a lot longer than me. Um, there is a difference between a funeral and a. I don't want to limit it to Christians' funerals because because I, I have occasionally experienced this in a non-Christian, but I got to say, not very often. Um, there's something about a funeral of, of, of a church member um, the funeral of a Christian where there's a kind of joy about it and, mm -hmm. and I can't explain it I can it's one of the things I say a lot of in funerals is a um, very popular thing to say these days is um, we're not here to mourn we're here to celebrate so, no we are here to mourn because it's sad because we've lost someone and it hurts Amen. But so we're still mourning but there's a sense of yeah excitement but I still I still think I don't know when you, I, I suppose I come in the category of, of, of most priests um, when you talk about you know, most priests you brought to an AA meeting say they'd have this in church what you describe in AA sounds a lot like what I'm trying to make church yeah um, and the thing that I found really remarkable I think it was uh, Clancy rather than Yancey that's too confusing mm. um, I think it was Clancy he, he talks about how the key to him seemed to be this this, this completely radical level of honesty and brokenness this the fact that everybody who comes to AA has come there at the bottom no, nobody goes to AA you know because <laughs> you know, they're having a good time yeah exactly <laughs> um, so so there's something about a, a kind of there's almost a requirement as you go in that, that you acknowledge how, how broken you are um, and that's the truth you've touched on I think what the, the fundamental truth is the mistake the church makes is we're constantly saying uh, learn this in the small groups learn this in prayer at the end of this discipleship at the end of this pilgrimage you'll be closer to God um, so we make our conversion our aim 
and what AA does is it makes our brokenness and our conversion the starting point. So what church, you know, when people say, well, I'm a cradle Christian, I've never had that, those experiences of God, what they're sort of saying to me is, I've never been broken. And I think the church needs to more radically explore the truth that everybody comes to the altar broken. But we're, we're so set on proving that we're together and working hard and paying our bills and, you know, and, all the, and got blonde and nice teeth and slim and going on holiday three times and you know, putting it all on Facebook to everybody, make sure everybody knows how clean and smart and beautiful and brilliant we are, that nobody is prepared to talk about how broken we are. And that's the first step in AA, but in church we make it the last step. And to a certain degree, I think, we don't get there. We can't. You can't achieve the kingdom by your own means or by being good enough. You can only achieve the kingdom by repenting and holding yourself before the cross, forgetting self. And the church finds that idea abhorrent. Well, I mean, I love my church. I really. Uh, everybody, everybody who knows me knows how I feel about my church, um, and how much of a privilege I consider it to to do what I do, as I know you do. It is. It's, it's a massive privilege to be a priest. But. Um, they do not like it when I say stuff like that. Do you know? And I, and I do quite a lot because um, I learnt fairly early on that, um, um, and it's a gift really. Um, they're not going to like me whatever I do. <laughs> Certain people, uh, I think, maybe because of where because of where I come from, because of how I am, because perhaps because I'm a convert, because I'm not very. Um, is it fair to say I'm not very churchy? Hmm. I'm a Christian, but hmm. I'm not very hmm. churchy to an extent. Um, some people will never like me, and there is some freedom in that. But, but, but when, when I say stuff like that, people don't respond very well. No. Um, I once um, got a complaint. It really angrily storms up to me um, <laughs> because um, because in a baptism service, I realised we had a lot of people. We do them on Sunday mornings. So the main church was mm -hmm. there, so our church at the time was about fifty people, and there's about sort of fifty extras for the baptism. And I realised there was a lot of discomfort in the room, so so I led in by saying, you know, I know it's. Um, um, I, I know it can be uncomfortable for people because they feel like they come to church and they're not good enough. And I just want to assure you there aren't any good people here. <laughs> and that was the angriest I'd ever made some, one mm. individual who's often angry at me. Yeah, that yeah. was the angriest I'd ever made him. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But isn't that the the core premise of Christianity? We're, we're, yeah, we're yeah. not good enough? The, the so, but what would it feel like if, um, you know, there's no rules in AA? It's a, a, quite a anarchistic organization there's no leaders and stuff but we have like suggestions and guidelines and one of the suggestions guidelines and everybody's seen it on the telly is you can't open your mouth in AA without saying my name's David and I'm an alcoholic so the first thing so what what would it look like in church if the first thing we said is my name's David and I'm a sinner every time just to <laughs> just new opening liturgy well just to remind ourselves you know, that we start from a place of needing, it's not, you know, everybody's a sinner, it's not like I'm a worse sinner than you, or, you know, but this assumption that it's self and pride again, you know, I, there's, there's huge parts of the Roman Catholic tradition I struggle with, but in terms of doctrine, they're, they're you know, usually incredibly sound, and pride is, is the greatest human sin, you know, and uh, you see it all the time in, in, in the, what we were talking about 10, 20 minutes ago, People will literally spend their whole lives. I've known vicars who who've done what you're doing for forty years, and their families have been broken around them, their church has been broken around them. But the only answer they have is hard work, and so they keep doing it. And you know, it's like when 
we were ordained and the bishop pats us on the head and says the magic words and we look up at the reed screen of Jesus on the crucifix and we say it's all right mate I'll take it from here <laughs> I've got magic hands now yeah yeah and, you know, and then like five ten fifteen years later three breakdowns later you know family in bits later congregation hating us later you know no holiness we suddenly realize you know the very thing that we were called to do the devil has tempted us away from not that he's made us walk in the other way not that we've run away and had an affair with the organist or stolen a thousand pounds or whatever but we've just stopped preaching about love and sacrifice and and, and who's in charge and and you know we'll we'll literally spend hours putting together the stuff for the jumble sale and and you know and the short map bowls and the whatever but can i persuade christians and, and my fellow uh, ordained colleagues to spend an hour a day in church praying can i buggery well but in, i think in a way though that um those people you know who ran off of the organist those people who um who were who were addicts who were who were um obviously what the world would call bad people it's easier it, honestly and, mm -hmm. I, and i think and i and i think that that for, for converse for people like me and you we didn't grow up in church we're not from this this world in many ways it's easy because i i have never had any issue seeing myself as broken I, I came to i came to the church fully recognizing that brokenness you know, knowing that knowing that i needed help i've never had a problem with that i've got lots of problems that's not one of them um but i think that's not actually in a way because it's more more because the sin is more obvious because the brokenness is more obvious it's easier to turn away to say that's that's broken but but it, like you said i'm no we're no less sinful than the person who has been quietly sinning for. Well, you know, this this great assumption that the 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 the, 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 the ultimate aim of the devil is to turn everybody into rampaging, pillaging, you know, pyromaniac murderers, i.e., to go completely the other way. Mm -hmm. And and it seems to me relatively obvious that whilst he quite enjoys some of that. He almost as much enjoys the people who are five or ten degrees off course. You know, if you set off at the beginning of your life and set your course towards New York and somebody pushes it off five degrees, by the time you get to where you're supposed to be, you're going to be in Argentina. And the devil's perfectly happy with that. It's the Wayne Rooney thing. You know, it's that when you shoot, you're shooting at the goal, but you're distracted by the person just to the left of it. He's not asking us to make an own goal, and he's happy with that. And he seems to, you know, and we are so wrapped up in what we think is a good idea or what are the expectations of our tradition or our church or our denomination place upon us that we've, um, and, and you know, and alcoholics, in Alcoholics Anonymous aren't saints. You know, they, they really struggle. The joy of AA is that when they come back into uh, the small group, the AA group, most of the time, with them or with their sponsor, what we would call a spiritual director, they are prepared to say that out loud. What what in other traditions would be called confession, which is a much again much broken and maligned Christian tradition. The joy of saying the stuff you've done wrong. Yeah, we admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs is an important part of, of, of refocusing and, and realigning with God. 
So, 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 so I suppose what you're saying is that um, for an addict, acknowledging, acknowledging your brokenness, acknowledging your your problems, acknowledging your to, to use the the churchy term, to acknowledging your sinfulness is essential and, and and yeah i think that translates directly to the church we you you can't one of the things i've said to people a lot of times you you're not going to grow until you acknowledge that you need to you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna grow in your faith you're not going to grow as a disciple unless you recognize that you're broken and you need help you know whilst you're still just sort of saying well, it's not that big of a deal i you know i um um I, i'm not that bad you know you're never going to go any further Oh, absolutely. And and the, one of the greatest joys, the greatest, greatest joys of being a priest is hearing confession. Uh, um, I think I know most of my congregation quite well. You've been here for yeah. a long time. Yeah, two decades. And, um, my goodness. And um, I, can, I can... So I can see those who are... S- still carrying a burden of guilt and shame those who have spoken to me about their past guilt and shame and have now been released from them in the seal of confession and there is a distinct difference most people carry things that have been done to them or things that they have done which were hurtful and I'm not talking about stealing 20 quid or you know, roll a sellotape out of the, the, the stationery cupboard at, at work I'm talking about the betrayals and the unfaithfulness and the, you know, all that sort of the deep stuff. Everybody carries some of that. The, the, one of the, the interesting things about Alcoholics Anonymous is you can't get sober carrying that stuff. And, and, and those who don't use the steps, step four and five, to relieve themselves of that burden, in the end are crushed by it and go back drinking. Whereas in church, we get away with it. We carry, literally, if you, you know, I've preached the same sermon a couple of times, you know, once a decade here, because uh, we have those Calagas heaters, uh, and I take one of the big Calagas bottles out of the back of the heater, and I put it on my back while I'm preaching the sermon. And they're heavy. And I keep it there for, for 10 minutes. And people can see, uh, by, you know, by the end of the first 30 seconds, I'm struggling, you know? And... Um, and then I take it off at the, at the end. This is what Jesus did for us. He, he, he lifted that weight from us. And, you, you know, I, people can see in my, the way I stand and the expression on my face what a joy it is to put that bloody thing down. And, and, and that's the closest I can come to describing, uh, you know, the release from, from the past that every soul, every soul needs to do. There's no escaping it. You can't. You know, as we as we journey towards the kingdom, it, it is a constant journey of throwing our rubbish off the back of the cart. We're dragging behind us till the end. We let go of the cart. Francis, on the day of his death, you know, knew he was dying. This this robed himself apart from his underclothes, went and laid in the ground and sang hymns of praise and alleluia, having nothing left of this world he was clinging to. And, and um, yeah, everybody goes, oh yeah, that's a bit extreme. <laughs> it, is a, it is a little bit, but. Why come to church if you don't want to be a saint? Because that's what God is expecting. Not a saint that's going to get written about in a book, or not a saint that you know everybody's going to go, or Saint Sam or Saint David or whatever, you know. But 
because most of the vast, vast majority of saints are in utter humility and don't want or expect and would be horrified about any pat on the back for the, for the charity that God has inspired them to do. But why come to church if you don't want to be a saint? Why come to Alcoholics Anonymous if you don't want to stop drinking? Why come to church if you don't want to be a saint? This, this, the holy life is our primary purpose. The, the, the grace-filled, gift-filled life is our primary purpose. When we live that life, people see it. It's the, the scent of heaven is upon you, Sam, when, when you are close to God. And people aspire to that. And they don't. when they look at you being busy, they think, well, I could do that. And when they look at you being funny, like once or twice a year, they think I might be able to manage that. You know, I'm, but, I, I'm funny all the time. <laughs> well, like I said, once or twice a year. And, uh, <laughs> um, but when you are full of grace, which I you know, have frequently seen you be, heaven is close, the kingdom comes near. And who else in the world, apart from Christians, is going to do that? Doing good, especially in times like this, is essential. Of course it is. But it comes from the grace that fills us, not because we want to get grace. We're good because God made us good, not because we're trying to be good to make God like us. That's the old pagan way of doing it. You know, If I sacrifice this sheaf of wheat, this goat, this firstborn child, you'll love me more. God, God loves you more than you'll ever know right now. You don't have to do anything to make him love you more. You couldn't do anything to make him love you more. He loves us now more. That's the gift. Grace, what a gift. So um, we're nearly out of time. I just want to give you an opportunity um, just before we uh, finished. Uh, like you said, I, d I don't know if we've got any uh, addicts that listen, but but everybody knows at least one. Um, um so for for anyone struggling with that, for anyone uh, struggling with that personally, or someone who they they love or care about struggling with that, what would you like to say to them? Thank you, Sam. Uh, so nobody's going to stop drinking or taking drugs or gambling. I mean, there's Narcotics Anonymous, there's Gamblers Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous. That you know, the twelve step program is very hmm, popular because it it is approve not the you know there are other ways and wouldn't dream of telling people how to live their lives so whatever you're struggling with firstly i'm speaking to those who are struggling with addiction nobody's going to stop doing what they're doing because because they they can I, you know I, most alcoholics die of alcoholism by far the biggest majority and if they could if they could stop they would you know literally i've seen so many times i can't believe it wives saying to husbands if you don't stop you've got to leave and they choose to leave because their god has become their their alcohol or their drug or their other addiction um and they love it more than they love anything else but if you're in the situation where you're close to the end to the jumping off place where you cannot live with it or live without it then you know go online look up alcoholics anonymous that there are seven meetings a night a night in bristol more same with other addicts there there is opportunities to address your addiction but you have to be you know prepared to say enough is enough you have to at some level reach the rock bottom and, and at some point some people just sail past that i've lost good friends family members to addiction when i say lost i mean they've died more than i can remember now um it, it's a horrible thing for the friends and family of, of people in addiction, there are support groups, particularly in terms of alcoholics and there's called Al-Anon, which is another 12-step program. 
um, for friends, uh, usually spouses, but also uh, children, uh, usually adult children. Um, and you can go to meetings, you can have support, you can get the, that you're not alone, find a way of coming to terms with and coping with the thing, the person that you love, who, and that, who loves something else more than they love you. Uh, it's a real tricky one. But, so there's plenty of support out there. Uh, I think the last thing to sum up this final, perhaps final bit, Sam, would be to say the worst thing that addiction does to people is, and those who live with them, is make them think that they're alone. So when I came, I remember my first AA meeting, and the thing that absolutely uh, moved me in a way that I hadn't been moved for years in my life, and, and I was thousands of pounds in debt, I tried to kill myself three times, uh, I was in despair for the last five years of my drinking, uh, my family and friends wouldn't talk to me, I was passing blood, uh, I, I couldn't form a sentence, uh, I was shaking like a leaf, um, I went into my first AA meeting, and I knew if I stuck to AA, I would never be alone again. And that's a huge thing. And it's something of what we offer in church, is that sense of loving community. Um, and it, you know, to those out there who are struggling with addiction or know somebody who's struggling with addiction, you're not alone. There, there are people out there who are going through or have been through what you're going through, and there is help. Take it. Okay, David, thank you for coming on. Thank you for talking about something so, so personal. Um, it's been great to have you. I want to thank you everyone for listening. Uh, please feel free to uh, have a discussion in, in in the comments. I've never been able to get you to do that. I don't. There's loads of you now. There's like two, three hundred of you now, and I still can't get you to. I still can't get you to have a conversation, <laughs> which is ironic considering what the point of this podcast is. Uh, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. We're on Instagram now. I um I don't really know how to use it, but uh, the page exists, and I'll see you next week. Or I'll talk to you next week.